we've gone through Jude identifying himself. We've identified who he was writing to. He was writing to you. He was writing to those who were called, who are sanctified, and who are, in, who are kept by Jesus Christ. That's every believer who shares in this common faith. And he talks about the common faith. There is a faith that he says was given by the uh, apostles once for all. There is one common faith. And uh, I want us to look, what we're doing this for is because we're facing the same things today that the early church faced. We uh, are now naming what the problem is. Next week, we're going to start looking more as to what to actually do, how to handle the problem that we're in right now. But uh, today we're going to be identifying the problem. And Jude, he wasn't wanting to write this. He wanted to write about something else. He had something he thought that people should hear about. And he started out, he was going to write that. But then the Holy Spirit stopped him. And he said, Jude, this isn't the way you need to go. And then the Lord, the Holy Spirit, impressed upon Jude the importance of writing this letter to the church at that particular time. And uh, it's the same reason why you're hearing this at this time. The Holy Spirit has control. And uh, the Lord wanted to get this word out and uh, and so he used Jude to do this. And I can identify with that. There'll be a lot of times I'll work all week and I'll just groove on a, on, on a truth that I've discovered. And I'll think everybody needs to know this. And we just nearly, this is just so wonderful. Saturday afternoon, I'll look at it and it's just flat. It's like wine has turned into water when I'm getting ready to carry it to y'all. And it turns out that what I was grooving on all week and was edifying me was just for me. But he had something else for you. And I've learned not to force it. When I first started, I would get to that point and I would just force on through. But I've learned to trust the Lord. And whenever that happens... An hour and a half later, my sermon for y'all will be ready. I mean, all week long on something else, but the Lord needed to drill it into me. But y'all didn't need that at all. That was just, sometimes I need stuff a lot more than y'all do, I guess. But uh, anyway, so I can understand what Jude's talking about here. And maybe you can too, if uh, you've ever been ready to do something. And then all of a sudden, that's just not right, you know. So anyway, but he uh, he tells them that he started to write this to them about about the one thing. But now then, this is what's really important. And he goes ahead and he I'm going to go go ahead and read this again in the, the fourth verse where he says for certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons 
who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Certain people had crept in. I love what uh, J. Vernon McGee says about it. He says, these guys were creeps. They crept in. They were creeps. And so they, they, they had crept into the church. They had gone in through a side door. You, Jesus talked about people coming into the, the, the fold another way besides through the door, which was him. And he said that these are, uh, these are just thieves and uh, that they've come to steal. And so uh, Jesus warned us about this uh, time and again. And we see it written about a lot of times and foretold. And so it's starting to happen at that point in time. They've, uh, they've come in. And uh, the thing is, is that it's happening today. And this is why our church is in the mess that it's in today. It's been a long time coming, long, long time coming. Uh, whenever I first came to know the Lord, I got to, uh, you know, it was like you know, six weeks later after I, I came to know him and he called me to the ministry, I was in seminary. I mean, uh, and I just really grooved on John Wesley because I experienced a lot of the same things that he had experienced. I had been brought up in the church, but I didn't really know the truth. I didn't know the truth about salvation. And then one night, whenever I just cried out and said, Jesus, help me, all of a sudden, the Lord was right there with me. John Wesley said his heart was strangely warmed. Well, my heart was strangely warmed, and he answered every question I'd ever had about the Christian faith that night. It was a wonderful, wonderful time with him that will stick with me for the rest of my life. So I went off to seminary uh, thinking that everybody, whenever they sang uh, in the garden, and they sang, and he walks with me and talks with me. I thought that everybody else in the church had already experienced this wonderful personal relationship with God that came whenever we appropriated what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so, and I met up with another guy there uh, at seminary that uh, uh, he was in the same boat with me, and we just bitterly bopped around as brothers in Christ and People, now you've got to realize I was at Perkins School of Theology, which is one of the most liberal schools in, uh, uh, in Texas, uh, as far as seminaries go. And so I, uh, uh, we by Billy bopped up and we'd be talking. I'd say, man, aren't you just glad to know that Jesus is real and that he really loves us like he does and all? And they'd say, oh, uh, guys like you get together in Selectman Hall on, uh, Wednesdays at noon. Guys like us, what's that mean? And so we showed up at Selectman Hall, and sure enough, there are a bunch of brothers in Christ there. And we'd sing scripture songs like that, Seek Ye First. We sang that there. Had a guy play the guitar for us, and we'd sing, and we would share. We would pray for one another. We'd share testimonies. And it was a wonderful time in the Lord. And most of us 
had come from what you might call a liberal background and then come to know the truth of the gospel. We knew how to play all the scholastic liberal games and come out with the faith on the other end. We knew how lacking those things were. And we were able to share things with our profs that changed our professors even while we were there. Whenever our bunch got through, Perkins wasn't quite the same. And some of those uh, uh, profs were never the same again because we exposed them to things that in their little scholastic ivory towers, they had not come across. And uh, they were, some of them were true liberals. They were open-minded and willing to consider another way of looking at things. And whenever they discovered it, they were as happy as we were. So anyway, and so I made good grades while I was there, even though I was uh, contending for the faith right out of the chute in seminary. While I was there, I started uh, my first church job. I was youth director at a a church on the outskirts, far outskirts of Dallas. And uh, as I told you, I, I really could identify with John Wesley. Every one of his sermons, I said, that's right, that's right. You know, I just agreed with our founder all the way up and down. And so uh, I got there. These kids didn't even know who John Wesley was. And our uh, conference that we were in there had a lot of resources on John Wesley, audio visuals and things like that. So I just started bringing stuff in from the, the conference uh, to uh, let these guys know about the Methodist church. And uh, they started, they, they really grooved on it. They thought it was really cool. But then... They start asking questions. They start saying, you know, this salvation thing's really neat, but why doesn't our preacher ever talk about this? He, he never talks about things like that. But all he talks about is love and, uh, and, and doing good things. But we've never heard him. Why doesn't he talk about that? I said, well, you know, I'm not him. I couldn't answer that question. So I told him about it. And so he had a meeting with them. And, uh, they ask him, oh, why don't you ever talk about stuff like, like we're hearing in here? And he says, what, what, what are you talking about? What, what are you saying? He said, well, you know, like about salvation. And he said, salvation from what? And he didn't even think that salvation was necessary. He said, yeah, Jesus died for everybody. We're all going to heaven. So there's no need to be saved. You're already saved. You don't worry about it. And uh, that's the way that that went. Well, so that is uh, universalism, but it's not the gospel. But the thing is, there's another uh, later on. He decided to start a a, a young person's Bible uh, Sunday school class. And I'll never forget sitting in there in the class. And it was with uh, uh, people that were probably about young, young, young people like, like Jamie and, and Jason there. And, uh, uh, they didn't, they didn't have a class for that age group. And so they started this Sunday school class and he was going to teach it. And so I remember 
uh, they had gotten this book called Getting Straight About the Bible, is what he wanted to teach from. And uh, it was basically just explaining away scripture. And starting out, he was saying, you know, the Bible is just, it's, it's all, it was written a long time ago. It's outdated. It's old. It's not applicable to today. And, uh, you know, we've moved beyond this and we don't need the, uh, the things that are here anymore. They're nice to look at. These stories and all are, and we can learn something from them. But, you know, we've evolved. We've gotten so different now in technology. So we don't need this sort of people are better now. And, uh, I couldn't keep quiet. I just had to say something. And so I said, uh, well, you know, we have changed. There has been change through the years. But looking through the Bible, one of the things that just astounds me is how little people have changed. Our emotions are still the same. Our penchant to sin is still the same. Our uh prone to go the wrong direction is still the same. I can read about David and I can identify. He had family problems. He did the wrong thing. He had to repent. You know, I see myself in so many of the people in these accounts in scripture. And he said, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. We've changed. We've changed. And I said, you know, I'm not talking about technology. We have great technology now. We've come a long way. But what I'm talking about is the spirit of man and the soul of man and our very hearts and how God relates to them. And and we still get to know him. No, 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 no. That's wrong. That's wrong. It's all changed now. And I said, people haven't changed. He said, yes, we've evolved. We're not the same as we used to be. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm taller than my parents and I don't have as much hair as my parents. And, and he was talking, I said, those are physical things. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about our relationship with God. I'm talking about those sorts of things. That hasn't changed. And he was just in apoplexy because he was thinking that we needed to just throw this book out because we've evolved beyond it and we don't need it anymore. You see, he was one of those who had crept in and he wound up serving uh, in some of the highest places in that annual conference and welcoming others like him into the Methodist fold. Well, uh, I remember uh, later talking with uh, a district superintendent that I had. This particular district superintendent had called me on the carpet because I had just reported about the reimagining conference that happened about 30 years ago where the United Methodist Church helped fund this thing that wound up being heretical and blasphemous. And I just said, I don't, and my, my, my teacher, I mean, not my teachers, my congregation was asking about this. They were very upset about it. And so I just wrote an article explaining what had happened 
and it was still being investigated at that time. And I just left it at the end. I said, they did wind up having this heretical semi-communion service where they prayed to the goddess Sophia and used uh, milk and honey uh, instead of uh, bread and wine and uh, used basically pornographic language in describing what they were doing there. And I just laid all this out. What happened? And I said, I'll let you know. Anyway, I went up with a note slid under my door uh, saying, "You, Joel, I read your article and needless to say, I'm concerned. Please see me as soon as you can. So I bitterly bopped up there and uh, she started out by telling me, oops, I'll let you know it was a woman. That narrows it down a bit. I was, I was trying to be, names will remain gone. But anyway, the thing is, is that uh, she began by telling me we don't use words like heresy and blasphemy anymore. And the thing is, if something's heresy, it's heresy. If it's blasphemy, it's blasphemy. And that stuff was heretical and blasphemous. It was horrible and it was being funded by the United Methodist Church. And so uh, we got to the point to where she was kind of just trying to go off into uh, the Methodist church should be basically like uh, the Hindu religion. You know, don't worry about Jesus. He's just no different than anybody other, any of the other gods. And uh, I said, but uh, didn't Jesus say no one comes to the Father, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but by me? And she just turned red in the face her ears turned purple and she just spewed. John said, Jesus said that. Another one who had come in by a side door and was taking others with her and welcoming others of her ilk in. And so we have gone through this to where now it's gotten so that, uh, oh, we're trying to just throw the Bible out and say that uh, uh, none of this stuff matters. And where does that leave you? But I'm not trying to just... The thing is, this is what Jude says. He was writing to them about our common salvation and how that we need to be sure that we stay in the faith handed down once for all the saints from the apostles. There is one faith and it has not changed. It will not change no matter how people are wanting to say it has changed. It has not. And so uh, you, John Wesley, this is what he, there's this, this first passage about, I exhort you, that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. And this is what John Wesley says in his uh, commentary about that. He says, he starts out, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation. And about that he says, designed for all and enjoyed by all believers. Here the design of the epistle is expressed. 
the end of which exactly answers the beginning. It was needful to exhort you to contend earnestly, yet humbly, meekly, and lovingly. Now listen to this caution from the founder of our denomination. Otherwise, your contention will only hurt your cause, if not destroy your soul. For the faith, all the fundamental truths once delivered by God to remain unvaried forever. That's what John Wesley said about this particular passage and what he saw about the faith. He held that the essentials of the faith are changeless. They do not evolve. They stay the same. He shared this quote from St. Augustine, which uh, sums this all up pretty well. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And there's that lovingness that's got to be there. Even when you disagree, you love. Our founder held that there is a core, essentials of the faith that all believers hold in common. And these essentials are pretty well outlined in the two historic creeds that we have uh, in our hymnal, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. And Jude was writing to the church to exhort them to stay on track with the essentials and to not be led astray by false teachers and teachings within the church. And that was the problem. And that's the problem today is that these people have wound up inside the church. He says common salvation, the word common in the English translation of the Greek is the Greek word that we get koinonia from. It's fellowship. It's something that holds us together. It's something that we all share. A common faith that's the same today as it was back when Peter and John and James were experiencing it. It has not changed. When Jude said, Jude said that, he had intended to write for the common salvation. He was talking about the salvation that unites all true believers from now all the way back. Uh, as I was reading this and thinking about it, I, I remembered the first two verses of the church's one foundation. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Now Jude said he was planning on writing about some facet of our salvation, but God told him, no Jude, 
This is what you need to write about. You know, uh, as Jude was prepared, was preparing to write a pastoral epistle to edify the church, and the Lord laid this on his uh, his heart. He uh, wound up having to write to us about what's called apostasy. Apostasy is a departure from the faith. It's a straying away from the faith that has been handed down through the church from the apostles. Now, there's one thing that we never talk about in the United Methodist Church, and that's what's called apostolic succession. When our ministers are ordained as elders, they are entrusted with both guarding and handing on the faith that has been handed down from person to person from the time of the first apostles. In the ordination service where I was ordained an elder, the bishop laid hands on me and he gave me that charge. And a bishop had also laid hands on him and given him that same charge. And this went all the way back to Francis Asbury, whom John Wesley laid hands on in England and then sent him over to ordain the ministers who were in the colonies at that time. John Wesley had his hands laid had hands laid on him by an Anglican bishop. And so it goes back through the Anglican church from that point all the way back to where the Anglican church uh, separated from the Catholic church. And then that succession goes on back through the original Catholic church all the way back to Peter. And so if I could hold hands with the bishop that ordained me, and then he held hands with the one who ordained him, we would be holding hands all the way back to Peter the apostle. There's one faith that we have been charged with carrying on. And in our homes, as individual Christians, we pass that same faith on to our children. We are all that you see, it doesn't change. One holy name we bless. The apostasy back at that point in time was just a little cloud the size of of a man's hand in Jude's day. But now it's a storm with a force that's just tearing our nation and our denomination apart. False teachers had slipped into the church and they were leading people astray and they are still doing the same today. As Jude writes about the apostasy that's coming on the earth, we can see that many of the things that he mentions are already going on right now. You see, the apostasy is not something that's coming. It's something that is here. We are in the middle of it. It is all around us today. Jude back then felt it was needful It was a necessity. It was a constraint that he felt. He said, when I was about to write you about some great doctrine which the apostles gave us, a necessity was laid on me instead to exhort you, to encourage you, to 
plead with you that you earnestly contend for the faith. Contend is to, it's to, means to struggle in opposition, to dispute earnestly, to, uh, a synonym is to wrestle. We are to resist and try to win in this fight against those who are wanting to turn us away from the one true faith. The thought here is to contend without being contentious, just like John Wesley tried to get across to us. He's urging for us to contend earnestly. And that doesn't mean that we're argumentative or contentious. Rather, the single Greek word, epagonizomai, yeah, it's the same word we get agony from, and even saying it is an agonizing thing, isn't it? Epagonizomai, uh, it's used only once in the New Testament. Only one time in the Bible do we see this word, and it's right here. And it literally means to agonize over, to struggle, to struggle with intense determination. Our challenge today in this time, the challenge to us is to contend for the essentials of the faith without being fiery and contentious. And this is our challenge How do we handle those we come across who are in the church but are not really of the church? That's what Jude is wanting to address to us, and that's what we're going to be looking at next week. So, how do we contend for the truth in love? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.